Back in November, I went to a show at the Black Cat, a music venue in D.C., to see Mitski. Mitski is just one woman, Mitski Miyawaki, who performs indie rock songs about love and identity and being a girl in America. She's half Japanese and half white, and she kind of looks like me. She has this song called Your Best American Girl, the single from her latest album that dominated critics' lists of the best songs of 2016. It's about being in love with someone who grew up in a world different from yours and realizing that it's just not going to work out. Mitski lived a lot of places growing up. She's talked before about not having a strong American identity, and you can hear that in the lyrics. Your mother wouldn't approve of how my mother raised me, but I do, I finally do. And you're an all-American boy. I guess I couldn't help trying to be the best American girl. That night of the show, I stood in this crowd of people who didn't look like me, and they sang these lyrics. I wondered what that song meant to them. This is Other, Mixed Race in America. I'm your host, Alex Laughlin. And in this last episode, I'm sharing two stories with you of women who felt this weight of rootlessness and created art to deal with it. We'll also talk about the communities that spring up around art, Communities that, in some ways, create a new root system for the rootless people in America. One of the first times I saw a mixed-race protagonist grappling with those awkward identity questions was when I discovered Ruth Ozeki. Ruth is an author, filmmaker, and Buddhist priest whose work is mostly autobiographical. Her latest book, A Tale for the Time Being, was the first book of hers that I read. One of the main characters was a half-Japanese, half-white woman named Ruth. And the experience she depicted of being a half-Asian, half-white person living in North America really resonated with me. And it's weird, it took seeing a variation of my story told in pop culture for me to realize that I'd been missing that representation my whole life. So I called Ruth up to talk to her about how she thinks about representation and about creation. I grew up in, in New Haven, Connecticut, and uh, my dad was a professor at Yale. And when I was growing up, there weren't a lot of Asian writers who were writing novels or fiction that, that I had access to. So I, I read primarily the, the canon. Uh, there really weren't a lot of writers who looked anything like me or who shared my background at all. So I honestly don't remember ever really seeing the mixed race perspective when I was was growing up. I think that's one of the reasons why it took me a long time to understand that that I needed to create this, you know, that that there that it was up to me to to do this and that I had the right to do it. And all of her protagonists, so far at least, have been half Japanese, half white Americans. But she didn't write her first novel until she was 40. Ruth spent the early part of her career working in Japanese television, and then in 1995 she made a film called Having the Bones. It was a documentary about her grandparents' lives, and about the aftermath of her grandmother's death. It's peppered with turn-of-the-century footage of her grandmother as a young woman walking through the forests of Hawaii in a white dress. She narrates the shots with snippets of her grandmother's autobiography, read in accented English. 
It's not till halfway through the film that Ruth fesses up. Up until now, I haven't been 100% accurate. There are a couple things that I made up. Like my grandmother's autobiography, for example. She never really wrote one, so I made it up from the real family stories I'd heard from her and also from my other relatives. I did sort of the same thing with these home movies. I've seen a photo of my grandfather holding a movie camera, so I know he really did make movies, but his cameras and films were all confiscated after Pearl Harbor. I made up these things because I never really knew my grandparents, and now they're dead and I didn't have very much to go on. I thought I would understand them better if I just pretended to be them. Anyway, I just wanted to set the record straight. Even though I made up the way I represented them, the facts of their lives are all true. And I did have my grandmother's bones in my closet for the last five years. Ruth's work blurs the lines between fact and fiction, which for her is how she creates scenarios that feel truthful. It is funny because through this act of imagination, of course, you're creating some kind of chimera, some kind of hybrid, something that is once again mixed. It's half imaginary and half real, you know, or half historical. It's built out of, you know, these little scraps of memory. And I suppose it was it was when I was traveling with having the bones. Young people, old people, people who, you know, of all different ethnicities and, and racial backgrounds it would come up to me after the screening and they would say, that's my story. So that was very interesting to me. And that's when I started to realize that in spite of the very specific you know, my own very specific ethnicity, which is half Japanese, half Caucasian American, that the story itself is, in fact, a very American story. So there's this web series called Almost Asian that I discovered last year on a blog about mixed race identity. Because yes, those things exist. First episode, entitled Almost Asian Driver, features a half-Japanese woman driving her Japanese great-aunt around in her car. Very badly. Oh, stop! Going through the bump! Watch out, there's a car backing up. You have to watch the arrows. Oh my god! Oh, wow! What are you swerving for? You check you're not my supposed email. to be texting while you're driving? Oh my God, we're going to get in an accident. Katie Malia is the creator and star of Almost Asian, a web series about a half-Japanese woman grappling with repeated identity crises. She persuaded her great-aunt Sachi, who was 90 at the time, to co-star in the first episode. We just wanted to show that full Asian could be in the passenger seat telling me what to do, that she's the good driver and I'm the bad one. Sometimes it makes me cringe because it feels so elementary and it feels so dated. And yet, when you're mixed, for me, I so desperately wanted to feel recognized by a culture. Katie had been working as an actor for five years before creating Almost Asian in 2014. The concept for the show came out of a conversation she had had with her brother, Joel, who's a director. Katie had wanted to write and star in her own series for a while, she just needed to come up with a concept. She spitballed ideas at him for a while, and then he stopped her. He looked at me and he said, write what you know. Write what you feel is true to your heart and what you feel is lacking right now. And what I felt was lacking, inspired by his words, 
was the mixed race narrative. I remember it being so, it was just like this light bulb went off in my head and it was the path of least resistance. Oh, right. Nobody's talking about it. How fun. And we shot it, not really thinking anything of it. And then it snowballed. The first season of Almost Asian is about 12 episodes long, each episode about two or three minutes. In every episode, Katie tackles a different facet of being a half-Japanese woman working in the entertainment industry. It's honest, but not self-indulgent, a little bit self-deprecating, and it's really funny. In one episode, her character is out to eat with a friend, full Asian, and they're talking about a stand-up show they're going to after dinner. If I got a stroke right now, I'd be grateful. You always do this, you know? What? This, this trying to get out of things, not take any risks. No, I don't. Yes, you do. Last week, you wanted to drive into a wall. Um, technically, I said if I ever do drive into a wall, I'll be listening to Ricky Martin so Livin' La Vida Loca is playing during the God, Jaws of Life. you are sick. And no, that's not what I meant. What do you mean? I mean, you using your Asian fusion confusion card again as an excuse to not fit in. I hate that F word. Fusion? I'm not a goddamn restaurant. And it's an Asian-American stand-up show, Judy. Of course I don't fit in. Yes, I'm not full. You do fit in. Katie lets you it go when the server comes with their food. You're so gross. Here we go. Thank you. Yamame. Naughty. Yum. You two need anything else? No, I think we're good. Thanks. Great. Oh, oh, actually, oh my I god. I forgot. Chopsticks. Which <laughs> she hands to her friend. And a fork. And that's how the episode ends, with Katie staring at her friend like, see? Point proven. The first time I watched Almost Asian, I watched all of the episodes in one sitting. I had never seen anything that embodied my experiences in such a specific way. Which is why Katie felt the need to create the series in the first place. Working as an actor in Los Angeles, Katie says she's judged by her appearance every day. I began auditioning with commercials, and that in itself is very much about do you appeal to the demographic that they're selling to? Should they not want to go full Asian, especially in commercials, to be more, let's, let's say, whitewashed for middle America and not a full Asian that would be startling to see in a commercial? They throw us into the mix. We are the watered-down Asian. So Katie's writing this web series and creating a powerful conversation about the nuance of multiracial identity. Sounds awesome, right? The irony here is that in order to make things like Almost Asian, Katie needs money. And she makes money by acting. And to get acting jobs, she has to audition for roles where she plays the stereotypes of Asian women. I remember having this one audition for, oh, it was like a house hunter show, but it was a comedy. And they asked me to do an Asian accent, which is always funny to me because... Asian accent, it doesn't really get any more generic than that. <laughs> Can you be a little bit more specific? But they don't care. So I went in and I did it and I immediately felt this wave of shame and guilt and it just felt like, it felt like such a lie and it also felt so offensive. And yet the casting director loved it. He was not Asian and he thought it was the greatest thing ever. And there are so few opportunities for people of color and Asians that then you want to get the job. So you play up the stereotype. This is the double bind that creative people face when they're trying to create culture that reflects them and is different from the mainstream culture. 
but people don't invest in risky ideas. So to bootstrap it, they need to work within the system that's run primarily by people who don't get where you're coming from. They play the stereotypes. The end result? The stereotypes live on in the larger culture. Gosh, what do you do when you're, you're paying your bills with this industry? You mm-hmm. suck it up and you do it? That only lasts so long until you just can't take it anymore. But here's the thing. Even though it's really hard to see these stories that reflect us, they do exist. And that work is worth highlighting. Because the way I felt when I first watched Almost Asian, that was magic. There's this thing that happens to plants when you move them from one container to another. It's called transplant shock. Basically, the plant's roots are stunned from the new environment, and they freak out because they don't know how to establish themselves in this new landscape, or pot. Here's a report from Purdue University's Department of Botany. New transplants do not have extensive root systems, and they're frequently stressed by a lack of sufficient water. Plants suffering from water stress may be more susceptible to injury from other causes, such as the weather, insects, or disease. When several stresses are being experienced, the plant may no longer be able to function properly. Reading that felt familiar. The story of immigration in this country is one of rootlessness and often transplant shock. When people leave their lives and families to build new ones in a new country, they leave parts of themselves behind too. Whether through language or culture or sheer geography, chances are their kids will be more American, whatever that means, and less of whatever their native culture is. Often, you can't trace your family history back generations. Or you don't know your grandparents because you don't speak the same language as them. Maybe you don't even know their names. This rootlessness is more likely when you're in an interracial family of immigrants. Not only did one or both of your parents leave their homelands, but they've done this transgressive thing. They had a child with somebody of a different race. Sometimes the consequence of this is disownment, or at least strong disapproval. So for many years, I accepted my rootlessness and even defined myself by it. It wasn't until I started working on this podcast that I felt its weight. Crazy thing is, it took working on this podcast for me to discover the other people, journalists, writers, artists, musicians, who felt this pain too, and who created art with it. So, Yes, transplant shock is a thing in plants. But there's this other thing you can do with plants, and it's called propagation. You take the cutting of a stem or leaf, and you take care of it. Place it in some water, give it lots of sunlight. And sometimes, when you do it just right, and when the environment is just so, your little clipping will begin to grow its own roots. Working on this project, I felt like one of those cuttings tenderly watching my own roots grow. I've been filling my head with books and music and articles and films that are parsing these themes in a way that feels so familiar. And somehow, I found a community for myself. And while it's not a fully grown root system, it's something close to that.
Thanks for listening to Other Mixed Race in America. If you've listened to this whole mini-series, you've heard me mention a subscription offer at the end of every episode. That's an offer we're giving just to listeners of this podcast. So if you've enjoyed what you've heard, I hope you'll consider subscribing. It's $100 off of one-year digital subscription to The Washington Post. You can get it by visiting wapo.st slash other100. That's w-a-p-o dot s-t slash other100. This podcast was written and produced by me, Alex Laughlin, with editing from Terrence Samuel. You can subscribe to Other Mixed Race in America on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoy listening to Other Mixed Race in America, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a nice review. Thank you to JJ Posway for writing our theme music and to Chris Kindred for designing our logo. Other Mixed Race in America is a podcast from The Washington Post. See all our podcasts at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. 